0: Welcome to the Monday Morning Blues. I'm your host, Christian Hansen. I hope everyone had a great weekend. hope everyone stayed safe. Uh, if you're new to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio, and listen to the show. Wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, you can listen to mine, the Monday Morning Blues. Today is Taranzo Cannon Day on the show. I talked to uh, Taranzo on Saturday and we talked for a very long time almost an hour and a half to be quite frank with you uh first portion of it was solely dedicated to the racial injustice uh that is taking place within our country and has been taking place for hundreds of years um it was something that needed to be addressed needed to be discussed and uh he did a great job at giving me um, an insight and education on what living life in America as an African American uh, is like. Um, it was educational, it was eye-opening, and it was humbling. Certainly, um, to 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 kind of hear where he's coming from because no one, you know, like I told him, I said you can. I'll never be able to understand what that feels like. People always say, oh, I totally understand what you mean. But you really don't. Um, And those who do say that, shame on you. I mean, I I know the whole logic and idea of, you know, that phrase. It's something that's been around forever. It's almost like a, uh, you know, it's just a natural thing to say. But if you really think of the context of that phrase... just makes no sense you really don't understand what that person feels like what they're going through you know even if you've been through that situation before because everyone deals with things differently it's life people are different people deal with things differently so it was a very very great conversation that i had with taronzo um man i mean he's an incredible incredible person a cta driver by day Chicago blues guitarist and uh blues legend uh by night. Um he is one of the most inspirational and humble individuals I've ever been able to speak to. And uh I was very blessed, certainly, to have this opportunity. Shout out to actually Pat Quinn of Buddy Guy Radio Legends for uh turning me on to Toronto, actually. Um he, uh, he was the one who got me into him, so thanks, Pat. I uh, certainly appreciate you. Um, before we uh, get into my conversation that I had with Teronzo, I do want to make a couple shout-outs to uh, some uh, great places that uh, I'm praying and hoping we can get back up and running uh, very soon. But uh, the situation with the pandemic is certainly um, putting a lot of these places and people in a very tough position. So um, shout out to the Arcada Theater and Ron Onesti um, for all the great things that he does there uh, for live entertainment and music. Um, he is an absolutely incredible person who literally never sleeps, never stops working. He's literally one of the hardest working people in show business. Uh, Be sure to visit OShows.com. That's OShows.com, the letter OShows.com. And check out all of his venues. Uh, Be sure to buy tickets for future shows. Support the business. Support the theater. Support Onesty Entertainment. Because once everything opens up, it's going to be crazy. Don't forget to check out Kingston Mines as well. Uh, Kingston Mines is one of the oldest blues clubs in the country and it is blues seven days a week um i know they're struggling right now i think they have a gofundme page set up be sure to help out the blues clubs in the city of chicago and nationwide Uh, buddy guys legends as well uh it's been a strange period for uh music and the entertainment sector of uh business in in this country in the world the past four months very strange so uh, everyone's struggling everyone needs a little love so if you can buy tickets for future shows if uh, you know that's something that you can do be sure to support whether it be a donation or uh, buying merch off their website anything helps also don't forget it's a special shout out to my good friend Steve over at the house pub in St. Charles, Illinois. I know they're struggling right now. All these small businesses, all these uh these bars and places like that are really, really struggling um during times like this. It's it's very, very tough. But uh Steve sent me this uh not too long ago. He sent me this link. It's called the Gray Shirt Project. I'll explain. So the Gray Shirt Project, what that is, it is a, uh, a system, like a foundation or uh, donation system set up for local businesses. Uh, what it is, is by purchasing a shirt, you are representing a local non-profit restaurant or business, helping your community and allowing them to make ends meet with every shirt purchased on this locally operated website, uh, which is... Uh, Stores, what is this? Let me get this for you here so you can actually do it. Um, It is, yeah, it's nice and easy. Stores.InkSoft.com forward slash gray shirt project. I'll do it one more time. That is, let's see here. Stores.InkSoft.com slash gray shirt project. Um anyway, so yes, any shirt purchased on that site, uh ten dollars will go directly to that business, restaurant, or nonprofit organization. And the house pub is one of the businesses that have signed up for their services. So if you're from St. Charles, if you're from these suburbs, be sure to go there, check it out support the house pub and the great Steve the mystery man Steve, Stavi whatever you call him help him out, he's a great man who's uh, actually one of the main people who really got me turned on to some uh, great blues music like the Corey Dennison band so anyway, support all of them this is a very very tough time but uh, we will get through it, Well, without further ado, here's my interview with Taranzo Cannon. This is the, you know, it's the main, main stake of the show, but um, I feel super um, horrible for not addressing, you know, what's happening in our country as well. Um, yeah, which yeah. is why I joined that forum the other night with Connor and Vicky and all those other blues musicians, just to kind of get a perspective and ideas to, you know, how mm-hmm. it's affecting people. Because I would never, I will never know what, what that, what it's like, you know, to, to, to be in that position. So, yeah.
1: you know, to be honest, we don't know it until it happens.
0: <laughs> you and that's know what sad, I mean? It's
1: like, you know, you know we, We never know know about it until it happens, until we're confronted with it. And, you know, sometimes as a black man, at least for me, you don't want to walk around uh, jumpy all the time, you know, second guessing. Oh my God, was that racist? Or is that guy just, you know, he had a bad day. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? You know, is this a man thing where, you know, where it could be just a guy that is, you know, he's got macho, he's macho, I'm macho, whatever. He's got ego. You know so you, as as a black man, you don't want to walk around with that all the time, so a lot of us just kind of like, okay, hey, I'm like everyone, we're going about our day, something happened, and sometimes it's like you but you do question something unless it's overtly racist or overtly something you second guess yourself and say it, was that is that is that racist was that <laughs> you know what I mean you know right. it's, it's you know those of us that um that that um this, you know, that, that we we kind of think about it, and sometimes if you have to second guess it, it's kind of like, wow, I'm, 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 um, I'm, li- I'm, I'm like that. Where it's like, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be a thing. You should be able to judge it for what it is. Okay, that that guy's an ass. Okay, all right, cool. Right. You know, because it's 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 not cool to put a racist badge on somebody that doesn't deserve it. you know what I mean?
2: Absolutely. But if they're putting.
1: If they're putting something on me, like thinking I'm uh, lower class or whatever the case is to make them give me, um, you know, a, a funny vibe or whatever, you know, then it's like, OK, that's not right for them to put that badge on me. You know what I mean? Uh, me being whatever they think I am, you know, prejudging me or whatever the case is, you know, mm-hmm. because there's to- it's totally different things. Race being racist and prejudging and biases or um, not bias or bigoted. Are kind of three different things, you know. Um, racism controls, like, like people that like people that's racist can control how you live, basically. You know what I mean? Right. They control the economics of of your neighborhood or your job or your, or you know, your home or you know they. It's like they got something on you. But we all got prejudices. You know what I mean? You know, where it's like you prejudge somebody and he's like, oh, that that cat was cool but then you start getting to the the bigot thing where it's like okay I don't like this person just because <laughs> you know
0: yeah that makes no sense now yeah. as for for you i mean you chicago is is you you've said it a billion times it's all you you know it is it is your it is your home it's the the insignia the chicago flag everything is branded on everything you <laughs> you do whether you know be your guitar um everything you grew did up. You see the amp right there too. <laughs> I did not. That is insane. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, born in Chicago, um, growing up on the cell side. What was it? How, what was it like then? Compared to now, have has society made uh, steps? Because I'm asking someone who's who's experiencing. I don't know. I would. I'll never know what it's like. Have you seen steps, um, considerable steps, and changes within um, the the race race issue, race
1: relations? Yes. Um, I. I I think. Yeah. Well, I. I think I have. But um, you know, it's. um, I guess they call it um, politically correct or whatever. You know, a, a lot of people they weren't overtly. You know, I mean, there'll be some things that happen or whatever, where it's like, you know, yeah. you know, where you just say, OK, I can see where that could be racist. I can see where it couldn't be racist or whatever, you know, but but the overt racism where you get people just kind of really vocal it. And then I think, too, with the the whole thing, because we didn't have Facebook when I was coming up, we didn't have, um, um, you know, um Uh, you know, uh, Twitter and all that stuff. So now Mm -hmm. you can kind of, you can find out, yeah, social media, uh, you can find out at an instant, you know, because everyone now has a voice, you know, a person that you probably never encountered, you know, he says something uh, racist or, I mean, for the lack of a better word, or, or, um, or, or, you know, uh, bigoted. It's kind of like, oh, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know you thought like that, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. But back in the day, you just you wouldn't have never encountered these people. So I don't know if it's gotten better or not, or people just, you know, they just got a better forum to express their views that could be considered bigoted or straight up racist. Where it's like, whoa, wait a minute, man, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I I can't really judge that, you know, um, if it's gotten better or not. I mean, I know probably economically, maybe things gotten better or whatever, you know, availability of jobs. Better education and things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always been a struggle in the black community as far as you know, having uh, ownership of land or homes and things like that, which you know that comes from the banks and all that stuff. If you get approved for a loan and redlining, or well, you can only live in this certain neighborhood, and blah blah blah. So there there are racist laws that's still in effect, you know that um, that, that keeps. Um, to keep black people down, you know, I, I, but I, I got lucky when I got along from my house, you know, it, it was approved and the whole thing. And, you know, I've been heading out 20 years now, you know,
0: wow. so, yeah. I get it. And, you know, it's times like these though, that I feel, um, and, you know, not to get to political, but, uh, President Obama said the other day that, you know, once this situation or this incident, you know, leaves kind of, uh our minds and it shouldn't there still needs to be a change made like don't ever stop this because oh four or five months have passed there still needs to be that pursuance of finding and uh you know getting justice you know what i mean
1: yeah you still you still have to uh you still have to be diligent and
0: you can't lose sight
1: yeah you can't lose sight um you know, because everything in America sometimes is so 15 minutes ago, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like, OK, that 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 was, you know, that was the revolution. OK, cool. Let's go back to what we were, you know, and what we were wasn't good. So it has to be some kind of change change, because what we were was like some deep seated anxiety of, OK, we've been saying. Black lives matter, but that doesn't mean white lives don't matter, but, you know what I mean, or Asian lives don't matter, or you know, we've been saying this for years, and we're not complaining, and then now that something happens on film where it's just like, okay, that's undeniable. You see that? You know what I mean? You know, Then it's a big thing where it's like, okay, like even Roger Goodell, we were wrong. That's Mm. what they've been saying a long time ago. You know, even though I've had my issues with how Kaepernick um uh, could have addressed it better you know mm-hmm. um you know hindsight is 2020 20, you know i think if he could have got some of the main like the the top flight quarterbacks the, the first string quarterback we're not talking about fourth string quarterbacks if you could have got some of the stars and said, let's do a campaign about police brutality not hating all police just the right. ones that's not cool you know um if he could have got a campaign from that like Aaron Rodgers and I don't know the football players of the day but the main guys and say let's do a campaign let's do a commercial because I feel passionate about this particular thing I think it would have been better for the uh, public to hear other than okay this is what's going on and um the the the, the taking a knee narrative has been changed all of, you know it was hijacked it had right nothing to do with the flag had nothing to do with anything but it got hijacked, and then a certain the, the people saying, "Oh my God, this against the flag." When a Marine, Nate Boyer, right up, Nate Boyer told him, "That's we, okay." Well, yeah, yeah, we 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 kneel for our fallen brothers. That's what Nate Boyer said. Because Kaepernick was just kind of sitting on the sideline, you know, just not, you know, you could tell in his mind he was conflicted, you know, just sitting on the right. sideline. And then this thing went down, and then it morphed into a whole big, oh my God. But I think uh, when Obama said what he said, you, you can't. It, it's a. It's got to be a double-edged, triple-edged sword. It has to keep being talked about, even as uncomfortable as it is, because it's almost like the elephant in the room. You know, uh, some whites, white and blacks, they don't want to talk about it. Like I don't know how when you came in on the uh, the, the forum to the chat with Connor, but I wanted to hear from the white people that was on the on the Zoom chat. You know. Mm. You know, it's like I want to hear about y'all's feelings to see what's going on, you know, because that's it's all about dialogue and um, and saying this is the reason why I feel that there's a thorn in my side, you know, and why is that thorn constantly there? And then, can you help me get this thorn out by talking to, you know, um, people, you know, talking I hate to say your people, whatever, talking to people that mm-hmm. look like you talking to your friends, talking to your you know, your people, your bubble of people mm-hmm. when it, when it, when it comes up, you know what I mean? You don't have to be a reverend or a preacher and come out and say, racism is wrong. If you keep living long enough, something's going to come to you in your friendship with someone or the area you in, and it's going to be racist. And you're going to be like, wow, that's what Toronto was talking about. Then you can speak up on it. Or if you're in a conversation with, um, with your family or with your, like I say, your friends, you know, you can say, ah, I know some black people. No, they don't think like that. You know, of course, you again, you got bad white, black, uh, white, black and all races. And we're not even talking about that. We're talking about the ones that cause harm, <clears throat> white and black. You know, it's just, it's just, you can't, you know, you just can't let the narrative get changed, you know. So I I, I'm, I hope I answered the
0: question. I'm sorry. No, absolutely. I, I totally get it. And that brought up, you know, another thing that, you know, always gets brought up, um, you know, when incidents like this happen, um, it's the whole reparation thing. Well, I mean, what, I, I, I'd like to see what is your thoughts on on that idea? And how do you feel? Do you feel that this that's an issue and topic that needs to be addressed? Um, you know, just as a whole, because these things shouldn't just be addressed when things like this happen. I was just, I'd I'd yeah. like to get your, your thoughts on, on that.
1: Um, I, again, I know about the overall, uh, topic of, uh, reparations. I think there should be something because there's been systematic. It's in the books. This is not a, b- a blog. This is not a, I heard kind of thing. These right. were. These are documented in the books, historical things that happened to blacks after slavery, and we can. I mean, I'm only I'm only 52. I was born in 68. I was born three years after we had uh, the front time to vote. You know what I mean? You know, 65, if I'm not mistaken, 65 was you know blacks could legally vote you know, even though they had it right after slavery and it was a whole thing and all that stuff. But we're talking about like what Martin Luther King and all those cats were uh, marching for and and the three kids that got killed down south with voters right uh, registration and things like that. Um, Imagine if you were going to the army and you did all this stuff and you fought for your country and you did this and you come back and you can't even vote. You know, that's That's systematic. I can bleed for the country, but I can't. Now, again, too, they people talk about the, you know, people wave the flag and do all this stuff. You know, the GI Bill. That's supposed to help you, you know, you're sacrificing your life, you're leaving your family, you're doing this. White soldiers got the benefits of the GI Bill, but the black soldiers didn't. Systematic. But we still pledge allegiance to the flag, most of us. You know, we still don't kick up enough, you know, dust where it's like, this this was systematic, the things that happen. Um we get unequal health care, you know what I mean? You know, systematic. Um, um our insurances are high. We 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 what, what they call, I guess, you know, food deserts or whatever. You know, we don't have, you know, um quality foods in the neighborhoods that we're redlined to live in. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, nope, you can't buy over here, you know. Systematic. So You know, that's not when people used to say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can do it. Of course, some people have done it and have gotten the the breaks to do things uh, that was very, you know, very cool and profitable. And they took those chances and they became famous or they or whatever. You know, someone pulled them up or someone, you know, did something for them or whatever. Um, But the majority of people were kind of like left behind. You know, where it's like the ghettos. I work, you know, a bus driver for the city of Chicago and I work in an economically deprived neighborhood and it's depressing. It's like, wow, you you can see the direct, you can see the arrested development in people's lives where it's like, wow, you know, and you know, they know better, but you have to work with what you got. You know what I mean? And, but it's, it's, but then people say, oh, they're lazy. They don't want to work. They don't do nothing. It's the opportunity is not there. You know, if 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 America would have given what they said they would, the 40 acres and a mule after slavery, every slave family or the slave or whatever, if they would have had their 40 acres and a mule, like you know, a horse would have been better. But hey, we'll take a mule. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> if they would have got that per the government, that's what the government said, then that would have you know, that would have, the man has his own land. He can do what he wants to do on his land. He can farm. He can trade with other men. And it's a whole, it's a self-reliance thing. So now he's self-sufficient. I got my piece of land and I got my mule and I know how to cultivate the earth and do this. And I can trade here, make generational wealth for my kids. Because when I die, I'm going to hand, hand give this land to my kids and they're going to give it to their kids and so on and so on. The government reneged on that so you're out of slavery but you have nowhere to go you're free you can go but where do you go you have to go right back and work now you a sharecropper now you're still working for the guy that that was your slave owner now you're just working for him and if you till the crop to do what you need to do your buddy guy sharecropping mm-hmm. you know family with you know you, you still got people that that did it you know and the guy could say, Ah, we didn't do enough that year, so here's some money. But you can still live on my property and live on his land. So, but it's so generational wealth became a thing where it's like we didn't have anything, and then they start saying, Oh, we can move to the cities. Oh, wow. Okay. That, again, that's where the blues. If we're gonna start getting right, to the blues, the blues start moving into the inner cities, like Chicago. You know, they was doing their blues down south, and then you start getting electric. And then mm-hmm. we bringing those songs of my woman, blah blah blah, because you know, if you were a sharecropper, and I'm, again, I can't speak on this because I've never been a sharecropper, but I, my grandparents I've talked to them before they passed away, and things like that. Um, you know, you got basically all you got is your woman, <laughs> you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and a job, and you and you still try to be a man in a society that calls you boy, you know that's systematic. You know, they used to call full black man boy and that works on your psyche. Well, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. That's why that's why Um, Miles Davis got beat up. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. He was he was told to move off the sidewalk and uh, another case of police brutality, you know. And right. Miles was like, I'm Miles Davis. Like, how dare you speak to me like that, you know, because he had friends that were white and well-traveled man you know suit his, his father was a rich guy whatever the case is and you get somebody come and say move off the sidewalk boy or something like that and now it, it you know does something to your spirit but um and thus the phrase man from what i understand you know i would say hey man what's up man that was the Repent. counteract from being called boy so that became ah. part of the that became part of the the dialect of jazz cats what's up man you know, hey man. You know, because they were being called boy everywhere else. <laughs> right. So So that um again, everything is kind of like connected or whatever, but getting back to reparations, there's been systematic um and laws set in place, voter registration, uh, I mean voter suppression, that's going mm-hmm. on now. But we talking yeah. about it closer to when we first got the right to vote. You know, imagine, you know, you trying to vote in your small town of Alabama or Arkansas somewhere and everybody know each other because it's a small mm-hmm. town. And it's like, I'm going to exercise my right to vote. And they, and they stand in there and they say, how many jelly beans in this jaw? Like, huh? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know th- that was part of the voter. In some parts of t- a town, they would say, they would give you these, these unanswerable questions that was not part of voting. It's right. all documented. This is all documented from different historians not just one guy but this is what was done as far as voter suppression in those days you know um they would ask you questions that that you know you talk about the people that couldn't read and write you know what i mean and part they mm-hmm. come from down south or they down south and they they are second generation of sharecropping kind of family and there was those schools and all that they ask you all these big questions and if you uh-huh. didn't answer them you don't vote.
2: Yeah. So and this is
1: this is still under the American flag that we hold on, you know, and we look up to the flag and we pledge allegiance Mm -hmm. to the things that went down, even though people forget about it. And, you know, some people are angry because I can't believe that, you know, America's done me like this, blah, blah, blah. And there's some people that remembers that. But then there's some people, too, where it's like, you know what, I can't live my life angry. I have to keep I have to keep moving on like Bob Marley say keep trotting on. You know you keep you keep moving and mm-hmm. and if you encounter racism you deal with it then but I'm not going to walk and say I'm not going to go through that door cuz it could be racism on the other side. You right. can't you can't live your life like that cuz it's stifling. And a lot of people have stifled their growth by saying I'm not even going to try because I don't want to get my feelings hurt because it's racism on the other side of that door. And I was mm. like, "You know what? I'm gonna go to the other side of the door and see what's going on, and I'll fight it once I get over there. you know mm. so absolutely, so as far as reparations, I think something should be done to atone. I'm not sure how government programs don't work because if you can't change the mindset of the people that's been marginalized, you know victimized and 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 like um you know psychologists or sociologists, or whatever would know more about the mind and how. Mm-hmm things happen than I do, but for uh, families that see no way out, but they see rappers with a bunch of money, ooh, I want to be a rapper, or I want to be a <laughs> basketball player, I want to be this. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, that's their only heroes. But imagine if we would have got our 40 acres in a mule and we were self-reliant and we had our own land, and we had our own house, and we had to deal with whatever, you know, I can sell my corn or whatever to this guy down the street, I can pick my own cotton and sell it to whoever. And and that and, and that kid grew up to see his father do that. Then the father died, and then he gets the land. He teaches mm. the same thing to the kid. And then he, te- you know what I mean? That kind of right. thing. And then it would have been some self-reliance. And maybe they wouldn't have came to the cities to find a better way. But just like just like uh, they did in Jamaica, where they were telling, that's why so many Jamaicans, third now, maybe third, fourth generation Jamaicans in England, they came up and said, uh, hey, there's better jobs over in England. Hey, you do that. So they come from Jamaica to England, and then now they are butler, or they, you know, they they're made. They're doing basically the same thing they were doing back in Jamaica. You know, same way in in America, the, uh, the Great Migration. We coming from the South. My grandfather was one coming from mm. the South to find a better way of living in the South and wow. West sides of Chicago. He was a forklift worker. You know, and Albert King. You know, Muddy Waters. Those guys had regular jobs when mm-hmm. they play blues on the side, you know? So I'm sorry to be so long-winded about that. No, that's uh, great. I think there's there's a need for some kind of reparations other than just another social program. That if you can't change the mindset of the people and let them know that if you're not just throwing money at a systemic, deep problem, then it just goes nowhere. And it further makes Black Americans look bad because it's like, we're trying to help you, but you're not getting it. You know what I mean? So now it mm-hmm. comes to that point where it's like, we gave you all these programs, but the person's minds is not right because of, you know, his father might not be in the home or whatever the case is. So it's a whole, it's, it's a whole host of things that I don't think people can wrap their minds around. And I'm not qualified to really <laughs> talk about the mind, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Now you mentioned how um, you had family who were sharecroppers and stuff like that. Now the the funny thing is when I was talking about well, not sharecroppers,
1: are- but yeah, you know, in my family, they they my my grandfather came here in forty seven, I think forty seven. Okay. But he was working as a truck driver. You know, he wasn't mm-hmm. share. He wasn't out. Well, he was a truck driver, but. Yeah, of course, I have family members, that share a problem, but I don't not my immediate family.
0: OK, yeah, right. So mm. the the funny thing is, this. so like when I was talking to Bobby Rush uh, weeks and weeks ago, that was this, I brought that up as well about the racial thing. And um, before we get into the music, there was a thing that really stuck out to me. And he said that he there was a, his first gig was at a place called Skins. It was actually, I think, uh, little little walter helped him get that that spot mm. and he would play in front of a white crowd but f- be behind a curtain because they didn't want to see you know an african-american up on stage playing live music he got paid for it and he said it yeah. was a good paying gig but he goes I, I we couldn't face the crowd that was against the rules, so they had to play a curtain dropped in front of him and it's just crazy okay. to see how you go from that what, to them playing in the white house you know i think it's yeah. just awesome
1: what, if you notice the James Brown, some of the James Brown records, and you see some mm-hmm. of the like Johnny Mathis, like back in the 60s, like you see a James Brown record with a white lady, you know, with a baby carriage, <laughs> you know, what right. I mean? or, or a loving white couple on the, you know, on the cover, leaving Little Richard. It was just something about where it's like, I don't know, that's, that's crazy, man. I can't wrap my mind around it. It's like, but hey, as long as he get paid a percentage, because I'm sure he wasn't getting paid all his whole percentage. Of the song, then I guess it's good, but you couldn't be proud enough to put your face on your album mm. at the time, you know, so yeah, I don't absolutely. know but 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 again, we're all talking about this is not a foreign country, we're talking about we're talking about America,
2: mm.
1: but see, if you criticize America, people think you hate america it's like that's that's part of Amer- being american
2: america.
1: yeah. yeah you you have the right to criticize your government, you know? It's like mm-hmm. you have, that's what people died for. This is not, you know, Russia or, or Tiananmen Square where, you know, in China or, or, or whatever, you know what I mean? This is supposed to be America. That's what it says on the, the the piece of paper that all those guys with the wigs on, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> right? so, I mean, but to me it's, it, I try to break it down to, to that. But y'all said this on the paper, like, like Martin Luther King said, America living up to its promise, you know, it's like, D- this is what you guys said we could do. So wh- why does it change when, when it's concerning me? You know, mm-hmm. like, am I not, I was born here. So that means, you know, American, right? Okay. Yeah. Sure. You're American. Okay. That piece of paper says I can do this. You know, I can form a crowd or do this or whatever the case is. It- it's just, dude, it's. It's, and, and then, and then after all of that, you have to deduce in your mind, okay, this guy's not just an ass. This is a racist thing that's right. going on. It was like, but after all of that deducing and just kind of talking to the person like they're in like fifth grade, hey, you know, the, the Constitution says this, and blah blah right. blah, and I'm American, and uh, and you do all of that, and they still say, oh, Then what do you do? You take to the street. Mm. And some people don't have the right mind to take to the street and just protest. They mm-hmm. have to, they want to to burn things down because they've never had things where they can. you Because know, I said this, I said this on Facebook. The same people, again, protesting is not looting. Again, we don't want that in the street. Right, of course. I work, I, I work just today. I was looking for a bank to just go get some money. Everything's boarded up. Mm hmm. I was looking at the news yesterday, and there was a lady, a black lady, on the on the. Um, she said, "I can't get my high blood pressure medicine. I can't the do shame. this. I can't do it." Now I'm thinking in my mind because I think like Twilight Zone, you know what I mean? Where it's like her her grandson, or someone's grandson that live in that neighborhood, probably was responsible for breaking out the windows and freaking out and being marginalized and they un- un- the anger that they don't know why they have it, but they know they're angry. It's not mm-hmm. focused. It's not focused at all. It's like um, you know, a crock pot with, you know, that's not fully on, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And it's just like, you know, there you go now, you messed up the whole house. There's food everywhere, there's glass, there's, oh my God. But somewhere in my mind, I'm thinking, someone's grandson and her, she probably knows the mother, the grandmother, Whose grandson broke that window out and did all of that stuff, and now she can't even get her, 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 her medicine. She doesn't have a car because she's poor. The right. buses are not running. I'm a bus driver. They shut mm-hmm. down the bus. They shut down the buses after a while. So now this person don't have anything. She can't. She don't have an Uber account or whatever the case. You know what I mean? Because it's a poor neighborhood. Right, of course. Yeah. She don't have a job to go to because you know. So now, what does this grandmother do? So it's a lot of ramifications, man. It's a tangled web. I get it. It's it's messed up, man. And and, and Anyway, okay, sorry. <laughs> that's good. where the blues come from. I got six songs it. out of that.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's what the – I'm sure if you were giving that talk to Tom Hainbridge, he'd have a couple albums knocked out.
1: Um, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it
0: is incredible. Now, let's I mean, let's go back to your childhood. Did did your family were they very musically inclined because I know you picked up the guitar late in your 20s. Um, yeah. what was the music situation like for you growing up?
1: Um, my it wasn't like a music a musical family. Um, my uncle used to work at a famous blues bar that I didn't know was famous until later, Teresa's Lounge on 48 in Indiana. And it's, again, well-documented. Um, he used to work kind of like a, he was a fix-it man, like all, you know, if she needed something, you know, you get it, fix this or whatever, uh, go take the garbage out to do this. You know, he's just kind of like an all-around guy in the neighborhood, that kind of thing. And a couple of, cha- a couple of times when the drummer was late, you know, he sat on the drums <laughs> and and, <laughs> and played till the, you know, to the drummer came. So, you know, you hear about stuff like that at the family reunion, but he wasn't a musician per se um my but there was a lot of records, man. there was a lot of the family getting together, and my uncles would come over my grandparents raised me, my grandparents raised me, so um, my mom was young when she had me, so we all kind of grew up in the same house
2: mm-hmm.
1: but um uh, uh it was a lot of music, man, a lot of al green you know and when the when the other um when my grandfather's brother then came over. Then you hear the blues, you know what I mean? They'd right. just be in the front, cutting up. The kids had to stay in the back, you know what I mean, <laughs> you know, and we would kind of come and peek, because it was the 70s, we would peek through the beads, you know what I mean, kind of <laughs> you know, see what's going on and stuff like that, because again, it was the 70s, you know, and uh, mm. uh, the, the but we call that the front room, that's where the, the adults hung out, but uh, yeah, it's just music, but I didn't know it was blues at the time, I didn't know it was R&B, it didn't have a genre to me, it was just kind of like, they up there, you know, they up there smoking, having fun, drinking or whatever. Right. And uh we, you know, Mama my grandmother, I call her mom, but my grandmother would come back and see if we cool and everything and make sure we ate and all that. And when it was time to go to bed, you know, she was okay, time for y'all go to bed, you know. And there's been times where I woke up and <laughs> my grandfather be asleep on the couch and the that same hour green record would be going <laughs> be planted, <laughs> then it'd go back and then it'll come back. And then they played the whole album again, <laughs> you know, where well, he'd been listening to Al Green all night, <laughs> you know. Right. You know, So, yeah. So memories, you know, good memories.
0: Mm. Why? Why so late did you pick up the guitar? And it's not a question like you should have done it earlier, but what was it about the 20s? Because I know there's people even like Ledbetter. He picked it up, I think, when he was 26 or 27. <laughs> Usually these things are acquired earlier in life what was it about that time period for you that i couldn't
1: i couldn't play basketball i was um i wasn't trying to be a pro player i wasn't trying to do anything pro it was just kind of like nice to be out you (laughs) trash talk with the guys you know i had a flat stomach at the time you know it's like (laughs) yeah you know i mean i played uh grammar school basketball and i played uh junior junior college basketball and um it was just you know, just recreation after that, after the junior college thing, cause I started working with CTA or whatever. Mm. And, um, or the movie theater, I'm sorry, I was working at the movie theater. And then shortly after that CTA, I was a assistant manager at a movie theater. That's where I started playing guitar actually around that time um, because I couldn't play basketball. And I was, my sister bought me my first guitar, which is that right there. Oh, let me which one is turn it, it? around. Right there, Oh, there the acoustic, it is. the mm. acoustic guitar. That's the very first guitar I bought for ninety. Well, she oh, bought wow. it for ninety nine dollars.
0: Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Ninety
1: nine So, um, yeah, it's. I tried to get it redone, but it's, yeah, the action on it is like a uh, bow and arrow, you know. Oof. Uh, so, but I was listening to a lot of Bob Marley at the time, as you can probably saw some of Bob Marley. Right. Yeah, I know you started my... with reggae. Yeah. So I was just a lot of Bob Marley. I listened to 80s music like uh, John Cougar. And um, even though I grew up again on listening to music that I didn't know was blues or R&B or, but, you know, like Shaka Khan and, you know, uh, Paul and Funkadelic and uh, and all that stuff, Bootsy and Lou Rawls and all that stuff. You know what I mean? And then when I got into my age, where I was like maybe 17 or whatever the case is, or 16, I was listening to, um, you know, the 80s music. Um, uh, but I, I, like like MTV, there was video stuff coming right. out at the time. So I would listen to, and my brother too kind of got me into this, uh, his Summer Job. He would have records like Blondie, Devo, um, <laughs> um, like Peter, not Peter Frampton, but Peter Brown, you know, like what they consider house music nowadays. Mm-hmm. And then they had a thing on W V O N called Herb Kent's Punk Out Hour, and they would play um, like white music. You know what I mean, like new wave music. So you hear like the Human League, you hear, you know, I'm only human, a flesh and blood. <laughs> you know, I mean, do, do this, you know. Or you listen to Never Gonna Give You Up. You know right. all that stuff. So <laughs> all that stuff. I was listening to that, but I was also still listening to the R and B of the day. You know, like Pebbles and, you know, whoever. But so I always was a music listener, but I just never had the desire to play until, um, you know, later when I hurt my knee in life, you know. And uh, she she used to play piano and she would say, she asked me, she said, you want to, you want to, well, do you want to instrument? What do you want to play? Because she was very like, you know, in, into mm-hmm. the whole music. And I had been listening to John Cougar at the time, like real tough, man. And just, you know, music, very heavy acoustic kind of sound. You know, The Police, I love The Police, man. That was my group, you know, Sting and all that stuff. And she bought me a guitar, and the, one of the first things I learned was uh, redemption song by Bob mm. Marley. And I didn't know I was a left-handed guitar player until I picked up the guitar like this. <laughs> you oh, know? wow. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm looking, I said, I think that big string need to be on the top. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Because again, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at videos or I got the VHS, you know what I mean? I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at videos and stuff like that. And it's like, she's like, okay. So we took it back to the guy and he made it left-handed for me, you know? Wow. And uh, so, yeah, so that's when I I started late, you know, it was kind of like, you know, and I just was doing it as a hobby. I just wanted to sit around the house and, and just play, you know, you know?
0: At, at what point was it for you? Like, because obviously you're with the CTA. That's that's your, you know, that's your job. Mm-hmm. Um, what? At what point were you like? I think I could finally do this thing live. Was it a? Yeah. Was it a forced a forced action by people that you were friends with? Like, come on, get up there. Come on, and be like, how? What was the the moment that you you put yourself in it and said, "All right, I'm just gonna do this."
1: There was, um, well, I just I went to jams. Because I wanted to learn, so I was going to a bunch of jams and hanging around people, and and uh, just to to get just to see what, you know how I can get better in guitar, and it was an advantage mm-hmm. to me because everyone was right handed and I was left handed, so it looks like a mirror image when I'm playing, mm-hmm. you know, and um, so I would use that. But uh, the guy, his name was Bill, H- not Bill Hicks, Big Bill, I think it was called Big Bill Hicks, and he was a harmonica player from, um, he was the bouncer, harmonica player, blues, et cetera. Oh, no. And I had been coming to the jam there every Wednesday under Rodney Brown, Hot Rod, not Rodney Brown, horn player, and um, been coming there every Wednesday. And I guess they saw something in me, or whatever, because uh, I started learning songs. You know, I got tired of just kind of s- le- practicing for a week, and then go there, and then they gave me two little solos, and I stepped back, and that's the oh, night. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, you know what, let me learn let me learn a song so I can control the stage. And again, I'm not trying to be anything. I just wanna I just don't wanna I wanna have more fun. I wanna be on stage longer than some guy delegating mm-hmm. the solo. So I learned mojo working, you know, and learned that, you know, and and they kind of start learning other songs and all that stuff. And the guy uh Bill, he was he said, How many songs you know? I said, I I know a couple of songs. He said, Well you learn thirty songs. You you come back here, you know, and not come back. I was already here for a jam. He said, mm-hmm. "When you when when you learn thirty songs, you um, you can you can get a night here, like that." And I was like, "Wow!" But I guess he saw something in me. It never happened, but the fact that I guess he saw something. And then to- a guy named Tommy McCracken gave me my first my first start uh, playing in front of for paid in front of people. The Taste wow. of Chicago, the Taste of Chicago, and that was uh. That was cool because I had straight from the jam stage to, you know, to, um, <laughs> playing in front of, you know, what I perceive as a thousand people, but the taste of Chicago, <laughs> it was a lot of people and I'm there. He made you put on a tie. I got my tie on and I'm playing my guitar up like this because <laughs> I'm used, to, I'm used to sitting down playing. So right. I got my guitar all up under my chin, you know, <laughs> so he gave, he gave I still got the first dollar that he gave me. Well, we, the gig was more than a dollar, but, uh. <laughs>
0: But I, I took a I took a dollar out and I framed it and did the whole thing, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Now, yeah. Was it what's it been for you? It's been twenty six and a half years or twenty six, twenty seven years now with the CTA, right? Yeah. Um, twenty twenty
1: seven. Um, twenty seven. Yeah,
0: wow. yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. What uh, do you is that a job that um you is that serve as like something that humbles you and grounds you to the point of uh, is meaning like is do you keep that because you don't want to commit yourself fully to the music because a job like this super like it grounds yeah. you and it humbles you. I mean, or is there a security purpose? Because I've know you mentioned before about the uh, income um, when you know in other interviews and stuff like that that that's a huge huge you know thing. You got to provide for your family. Is that yeah, yeah. the 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 reason as to why you you still hold on to that position because music? Making it as a musician is tough, y'all alone a blues musician in today's world because it doesn't get that appreciation that it should be getting. Yeah. How hard is it for you to to still sp- split split your time between <laughs> the two? Is it like a uh, it's got to be like a love affair?
1: Uh Yeah, it it, it serves dual purposes. And the humble me out thing is uh, was part is part of that, too. But when I start playing music, when I start practicing guitar, I should say, I was at the movie theater and then eventually I got the job with the CTA. But that those two kind of came up at the same time. So when I start doing good on my own, as far as getting gigs, I was like maybe 10 years, you know, doing it, you know, 10 years playing music, you know, just side manning with whoever. Um, uh, Cause I got my first my first band was June oh oh sorry June seventh of of uh, two thousand and one mm-hmm. it was right before, it was right it was the summer before nine eleven and uh, yeah summer before nine eleven I had I remember using the picture of me going to the Jimi Hendrix Uh, experience thing in seattle and that was that that was my picture at uh, harlem avenue you know and i had my little dreadlocks and all that stuff at the time (laughs) but i was playing um i was playing side man i I fulfilled my fantasy of playing reggae for a couple of years with a band called root stem and branches and um uh but uh, splitting my time so these things kind of came up together so when I did start to kind of make it into music where I signed with Dale Mark and I was kind of doing my own thing, I had been still a bus driver, still doing it. So I was afraid to knock the bus driving stuff off and just try to do the music because, mm-hmm. you know, you accumulate things, you accumulate a house, you know, you accumulate, <laughs> sound bad, you accumulate a wife, you, know, you, accumulate, a, <laughs> you accumulate a kid, <laughs> you know, that sounds bad, but it'll, it'll be a song later. But, right. you know, you accumulate these things, then you credit and then it's like, oh, wow, I'm a bus driver. So I get credit. Ooh. So now and then you got these guitars that you just got to have. Oh, my God. you know, So
0: expensive.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so things happen. So now it's like, OK, I can't. And then health benefits, too. You got health stuff going on, you know. Um, uh, So and then me being older as coming into the music made me a little bit more grounded, where it's like, OK, I'm not going to be the 16 year old kid that think he's going to be the next you know, Robert Cray or whatever, you know what I mean? Or the next whoever, you know? So I'm just going to do, see where it goes. You know, I'm gonna give the music time when I when I got a chance. And after, when I signed with Delmark, I started going overseas a lot and I would just use my vacation days to fulfill those gigs, you know? Wow. Um, when I first got my passport, Tommy McCracken said, we got a gig in Brazil like that wow. i was like well well I, I i was thinking very local i didn't even mm-hmm. again i came into this thing <laughs> i came into this thing without a plan it was just kind of mm-hmm. like oh really and then you go over here and then oh oh really and then, oh well, i can't believe it and then you know you just right. kind of <laughs> you know so uh Tommy came back a couple of weeks later and said because he, he said you got a passport i said no you know and he was like get a passport we're going you know we got to get cool went expedited I remember the, u- the uniform. I had my uniform on and all that stuff, you know. A couple of weeks later, he came back. The gig fell through, mm. you know. Or after that, I got the passport, and I was actually mad. I said, "What am I gonna do with this? What am I gonna do with this book?" <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I spent ninety five dollars at that time ninety five nice, to get it man. expedited. Yeah, three weeks or whatever, two weeks or whatever it was. And I'm like, and I was salty, man. I was like, I can't believe, you know. So, okay. It's another form of identification, whatever. So a year, maybe a couple of years later, Kenny Zimmerman, uh, Harlem Avenue Lounge, he said, "Uh, you got a passport, kid? I said, yeah. You know, because they're not have passport. (laughs) Right, right. You know, because I only, when I was starting to know about stuff like that, I only attribute people traveling to people like Lonnie Brooks, Coco Taylor, Buddy Guy, you know, because they were like big people, not people on my level of music, you know. That was all for people like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Robert Cray and to travel over the world. I was like, wow, that's cool. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't know people on the local level, or at least I wasn't aware, or the people that I knew had went overseas, they went with bigger names. You know, John Primer played with Muddy Waters. Of course he's got a name. Okay, his side man going, and then you hear about their rendezvous overseas. You know, it's like, wow. But as a front man, or me trying to be a front man, some halftime side man, I didn't, and then a guitar player being on every corner, you don't get the call at somebody like a bass player or a drummer right. or piano player, because there's zillions of guitar players, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> and most of the time a guitar player is the front man and he's, he don't need a rhythm player. But, um, so he said, oh, you got a passport? I said, yeah, he said, you want to go to Latvia? <laughs> and I'm like, Latvia. Latvia, and I honestly, I didn't know what Latvia was. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, and he said it's Thursday through Thursday through Sunday. Wow. you're just doing two gigs. I said, okay. And at that time, my work schedule was Monday. I work because I work still now. I work four ten hour days: Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm off Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I took a day off. I took the Thursday off, went to Latvia, played two gigs Friday and Saturday, came back Sunday and I was on a bus Monday, <laughs> you know, but the fact that when I went over there, you know, I, I cause I'm not, ai wasn't a very big flyer at the time, you know, but, um, went over there and I'm looking at all this strange, you know, European kind of, you <laughs> know, like writing or what, not writing, but just as far as your plane leaves at this time and you got these certain airlines that's not the regular airlines I'm like wow and i went over there like uh three times three times uh, all together uh before 9/11 oh no right after 9/11 i'm sorry and uh a couple of times after that when they when they got the euro so that was a whole big deal over there when they when they finally got the euro but again as an artist and as a guy that just kind of came into this thing sideways you appreciate stuff like that because now the little uh, maybe biases that I had or maybe the prejudice or just the ignorance Mm -hmm. of me not knowing about Europe. Now I'm over there in Europe learning stuff like, wow, like, look at this, not stuff that we're being fed here in America about, you know, Latvians or Frenchmen or Armenians or, you know, Swedish or blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So now I actually know people on the ground of these countries so now I'm not quick to say or, or have my friends say because of the situation. Uh, and this is getting off from something else. So I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> I was I came back from France and on Facebook, I'm uh, saying, you know, oh, I'm looking at the Eiffel Tower again, blah, blah, blah. And so I had one Facebook friend say they don't take showers over there. And I'm like, hey, man, cool that out. You know what I mean? Like, be cool. Well, they don't take. I said, have you ever been to France? No, but that and then I had to check him on Facebook and do all this stuff and say, hey, man, I got friends and friends, blah, blah, blah. You know, but you know, and you're trying to teach this brainstem, <laughs> you know, about, you know, be cool. You don't you don't just but that's the, but that's how he grew up. And that's what he thinks, you know, about French people. But when you start learning and going to these countries and talking to regular people. You you sit down and, you know, if you if you're thinking, man, you say you try to learn something other than just going to be the circus to play the music. I want to bring something back for me. I want to bring back some knowledge for me as far as the land and what the regular people think. And what's the economy over here? You guys cool, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? I'm asking questions, you know. So. But anyway,
0: I digress. <laughs> okay. Good. Now. Was there at what point did you kind of did you ever like kind of hone into the magnitude of what you were doing or the people in which you were impacting through your music? Was there a point where you were like, wow, this what I'm doing, it's 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 connecting with people. Were you ever able to lock into that magnitude at any point?
1: Yeah, when I started getting a bunch of call like repeat calls to go over to Europe, I was like, Mm -hmm. wow. I must be doing something right, you know, and, and, uh, it felt good. And then I, you know, it just felt good. Um, uh, not trying to be a spokesperson for Chicago, but I, I was always proud to be from Chicago because of the blues history, you know? Right. And I hadn't really seen anyone, um, try to take the mantle of say, Hey, I'm not just, you know, I'm not a blues man that just happened to be from Chicago. Like, I'm a Chicago Blues man, you know you put the words you know it's like i'm I'm trying to um um uh, not take the place of money and all that, but i'm the I'm following their footsteps, you know, they build things higher. I heard Jimmy Burns say this. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants trying to b- make it higher and Chicago to have more recognition so uh when but when i was when I got these repeat gigs, man, I was like, okay, but I would doubt myself still. But I always have to sit back and say, "Well, I must be doing something right because, because, um, because they 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 keep calling me. You know, they they keep calling me to come back. And mm-hmm. being in Chicago, there's millions of wonderful guitarists, and I'm not no, you know, la, 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 I don't freak out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so you. I'm always looking at the the grass is green. I'm always looking at these very skilled guitar players, and like, man, this is great. Like, take these guys. I'm I'm hanging with these cats, but I must have something for people to want to come see me or keep asking me to get on an airplane to go to Europe. So I, whatever I have, I'll take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're right. You know, for as sure. long as I keep. But, but I'm always looking at cats like. He should be over there before me like this because I'm a fan, you know, but after a while you have to say I must be doing something right because they they keep calling me. So let me just go and investigate it, <laughs> you know.
0: Right. Now, um, there was a couple things that I that I've seen that one I, I thought was awesome, just totally cool. And it was the, the, the time you got to run in with Gary Clark, Jr., <laughs> Uh, and yeah. uh, I think that was a Lala after show with uh, <laughs> who, was it? Uh, who else was there? It was Dave Herrero uh, Dave, and,
1: Dave Herrero and, Ron, and, and uh, Ronnie Baker Brooks.
0: Right. How did that come to be? Because I know I've, I've had a friend actually band who's played a Lala after show this past year, Beach Bunny from Chicago. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, this stuff just comes together so quick and it's kind of spontaneous, like it's random, like it happens, you know, almost like what seems like on the spot. How did that happen for you? How did that communication get relayed to you? Be like, hey, you're going to be, you're like, what? Wait, I'm playing with Gary. How was this happening?
1: Well, that was my second time being on stage with him because we did something at the Chicago Theater, um, Mm -hmm. which I, okay. When I first got with Alligator, Bruce was saying, Bruce was saying, um, you know about Alligator Records, right? Mm -hmm, Of course. Yeah. Bruce was saying, uh, what are you doing? T- take blues into the future, and I'm like, I'm playing it, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right, like, you know, what is this a trick question? Like, what is this like uh, the grasshopper? You grab a coin from my hand or whatever. It's like, right. okay, I get signed, you know. But um, so he, I said, okay, who's who's carrying blues into the future? You know, because you know, me and Bruce been knowing each other for years. I was with Dale Mark at the time, and I really didn't think I could, you know, do what was required for Alligator. So it was just nice to have Bruce Iglauer take my phone calls with that guy with that depth of history. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the fact that he would answer my questions. So I just took it as that. Like, I'm just happy Bruce was calling me back, you know, <laughs> and answering my questions. So uh, he said, you ever heard of Gary Clark Jr.? And I said, no. Oh, wow. And, and I didn't. Because, but but I had saw a flyer at Delmark Records when I was recording John the Conqueror. Or, or maybe or when I would go pick up CDs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I saw the flyer. It didn't have, he didn't have a guitar. He just had a, like a shark skin suit, like sitting in the back of the car. And he was playing space. But I didn't know anything. I'm like, I didn't know that he was a guitar player. I didn't know what was going on. And Bruce sent me three links. I think I said how to email. We talking about probably well over six years ago. He sent me three links and I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, oh, shucks. I don't know if I can curse on your publication. Nah, go, Monster, yeah, shucks. I don't care. And I said, wow. I'm like, okay, okay. I see what's going on. Because, again, he can go for the Big Bill Bruinsie, and then he can do some B.B. B. King, like when B.B. B. King was jazzy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? When B.B. King was doing T-Bone Walker licks. You know what I mean? Um. And then he can freak you out with some drop D, freaky, fuzzy stuff. And right. I was like, ooh, hoo, hoo, hoo. that kind of thing. Actually, this was for John the Conqueror, Because I wanted John the Conqueror mixed like Gary Clark's song. I like his album, Black and Blue. So that was around that time. So mm-hmm. down I told Steve Wagner at um Delmark. I said, could you mix? He said, well, uh, get me the CD and I'll see how it's mixed and blah, blah, blah. And when I, Dave, Dave, I didn't even tell Dave I did that. And Dave Herrera went over his crib one day because we were trying to write songs. And he said, uh, he had said, wow, this makes like Gary's record. And I was like, Ooh. Well, There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because Dave, Dave, cause Dave's got like an ear, like because Dave is into, you know, he did sound clips for the Oprah show and all that stuff. So he's, wow. you know, he's a songwriter too. So he's, you know, he's got an ear. I don't. So but the long story short of that was I when Gary came to the Blues Fest in 2015, 16 maybe?
2: Mm.
1: Uh sixteen seventeen, twenty seventeen, I wanted to meet him. So I said, Hey Bruce, could you get me behind stage with uh cause I want him to sign my 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 guitar with it. You know, I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm right. I'm a at that time a forty-nine year old fan of a twenty six <laughs> eight-year-old, which I I was not um, embarrassed, right. <laughs> you know what I mean. But I would sit down and think while I'm driving the bus. Sometime I'm like, I even put on Facebook one time. Can a can a older guy be a fan of a younger guy in the music? You know, and it's like, am, am I breaking some kind of protocol? <laughs> you know, should should I be that old blues man like Albert King telling Stevie Ray Vaughan, "You stealing my shit"? You know what I right. mean? Because <laughs> that's what Albert used to say. That Stevie Ray Vaughan, I heard you around playing my shit. Right. <laughs> it's like you know, it's sorry, you know, Stevie be like, you are an idol. Sorry, I, right. I dig you or whatever. So, met him. Uh, Bruce called his people because when apparently when Bruce when when uh, Gary Clark first got on the scene, um, his people contact Bruce because Bruce is. Of Alligator Records, the biggest you know record label you know mm-hmm. in America, Dale Marks the oldest. Um, so they wanted the blues credibility, which I think is the reason why he was singing "If Trouble Was Money." You know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. is a which is a Albert Collins tune. So Bruce said, "Okay, you can. I got him. We can go backstage. You know, you can meet him or whatever. Blah blah blah." I said, "Oh, cool." So there was a guy, two guys making my guitar pedals. Uh, I, I got a pedal called The Chicago Way. And I got a pedal called The Cannon, which is a, like a fuss, which is based off of his oh, pedal wow. board setup from a song. He it's a, a, a WKRW or something like that. It's But it, you can look it up. Oh, my God. That video kept me up at night. That uh-huh. video and and his solo that whole show, actually, but that one song called You Saved Me kept me up at night where I would eat food and not really taste it while I'm looking <laughs> at this video. One of them numbers. Wow. The last song that did me like that was Jimi Hendrix Machine Gun. Oh, wow. Where the, you know, the solo and the whole, and I would, dude, I would just so I'm thinking in my mind, I need somebody to make that. Sound of you saved me solo in a box. Went to the first guy. He made and he he did it, but it didn't have the octave. (laughs) But it was called the Chicago way, which I was you know I paid for everything whatever, which Mm -hmm. is good for credibility and I'd say branding because now I'm in the mindset now of credibility and branding and and setting myself aside from other what other blues artists are doing in Chicago. So now, because I'm on the bus thinking all the time, I hope I'm not laying too much on you.
2: No, I'm, that was on the bus,
1: good. I'm on the bus all the time thinking about what can I do to further my whatever without being, hey, I'm here. I'm here. Look at me. huh? Right. huh. You, you know what I mean? So what can I do subt- subtly or whatever that's the word, I'm sorry, to, to give me credibility? So I got a wiki page. You know, it's like, okay, that adds credibility, which someone else has to do for you. Um, the, the the label did it for me. Um, I got a amp named after me by Victoria Amp, which is one of the biggest oh, boutique wow. boutique amp. It's called a Canon. Which this is my logo here. I mean, um, oh wow, that's incredible! This is my logo right there. Um, I I got me a logo uh, based off of a, um, a New Orleans voodoo kind of thing, Papa Legba. You know, with my 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 crescent or whatever in the middle. And then I got a guy to make me a, a a pedal. And then another guy made me a pedal called The Canon. So when I met uh Gary, I had my good time. I'm standing back there like a 16 year old girl, man. <laughs> I'm just like, and I see him. I'm like, you know, you know, I'm like, dude. I'm like Right, no, know, I get it. I'm sorry to not to be the blues, man. Maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, losing my coup with some fans because you know, you know, Toronto shouldn't have a fan because I'm a fan of his. No, it was cool to see that because this guy gave me the inspiration to write a song like John the Conqueror, hmm. which is that open E kind of thing, and it's all based because he got that from Jimi Hendrix. Right, hear my train coming, Voodoo Child. It's all open E stuff. You know what I mean? When you play that, when you play that, it's like, okay, I'm listening to you know, his version of his Open E stuff talking about a train. So I'm like, you know what? I need to do some, I like that John Concord. I was heavily listening to it. So when I met him, influence, okay, influence. When I met him, I, um, I showed him my guitar. It was like, it was like a uh, Epiphone a casino. And he was like, wow, yeah, I, I play these kinds, blah, blah, blah. I was like, my man, you know, cool. Sign mm-hmm. it up. You know, he said, what do you want me to sign? Sign it up, man. You know, I still maintain <laughs> I still maintain some of my Chicago shit. You know what I mean? You, <laughs> right. know, I, I, you, know, you know, I'm not gonna be like, Can you sign my breast? You know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> you know. Security. So I still maintain my shit, you know. So um I gave him some pedals. I gave him the the can the, the Chicago Way. Hold on for a second. Let me show you. Awesome. Um, I gave him this pedal.
0: Holy cow, that's awesome.
1: And I gave him
0: Wow. I
1: gave him this pedal. Call
0: cool. a Canon. That's but but it's, that's it's your like, logo and everything. Wow. Yeah, but it's
1: in white. It's in white call a canon. Wow. can you see that?
0: Yeah, I, I, got, yeah. A, Holy cow, yeah, I that's got a nice. blue
1: got a blue one down here. This is the first one that was made. Wow. And so so I gave it to him and he's looking in the box. You know, we took pictures and all that stuff. His his road manager is freaking out because he thinks I'm some kind of guy that makes pedals and just want him to, you know what I mean? But yeah. he don't know. I'm giving him these <laughs> pedals because this is kind of like a thanks, you know? Mm-hmm. And the guys that made them, they were saying, I said, I, and it gives me credibility with them. I said, hey, man, uh, I'm going down to see Gary Clark. You guys want me to give him something? And they were like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so That's they were awesome. like. They were like, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to take the whole route around for the, the <laughs> question, hard, but but um, gave him the pedals. His his stage manager is freaking out. He signed already. He can't do that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking at him like, and he's even looking at the stage manager, too. like, dude, cool out. So he looks at the pedals, and this is how nice Gary is. He looks at the pedals and say, wow, that's cool. And he wraps them back up and want to give them back to me. I said, no, no, mm-hmm. dude, 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 come on, man, that's you. He said, you sure? See, you when somebody tell you who they are, <laughs> believe them. You know right. what I mean? That was a cool move in my point because some cats would be like, "Yes, I deserve these c- I'll look at them later." You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, the, but the fact that who he was, he got you know knighted basically by Eric Clapton. He played in the White House. He did all this good stuff. And this dude is humble enough to look at the pedals and say, Wow, that's cool, man. Thanks. You know, and, and, him and want to give them back. I said, No, dude, them you. He said, Oh wow. man, right on. He said, Oh, thanks. So he gave them to somebody else. He gave it to the assistant guy. So years later, he come to Chicago Theater. And um, I forgot how it happened. Um, oh, he came to Chicago theater a year or something later, whatever a year and a half later, we see that he's playing the cannon pedal me and the guy that made the pedal. No, because kidding. you know, I'm always pedal stalking. You know what I mean? I'm always looking at people pedals. Uh. Right. So he's playing the pedal and it's like, Oh my God, I saw he did a rolling stones thing and it looked like the blue led light. And I'm like, I think that's wow. the cannon pedal. So I'm freaking out. So I send it to the, the guy, Dave, uh, his, his name is Dave friends. Of Function FX. That's the name, F, Function FX. I sent him, I said, dude, is this the pedal? And we're trying to enlarge it and we're trying to <laughs> take a picture of it because <laughs> it's a video. And they only show a flash of the pedal board. In them. And he was like, I think that might be. A week later, he sends me the Guitar One magazine or whatever it was. And he said, that's the Canon pedal. And I was like, whoa. Wow. I said, oh, I was, oh that, you know. And he was happy, the guy that made the pedal, because he's like, Oh my God! So I'm like, okay, cool. So Gary Clark is playing two nights down at at um, Chicago at um, Chicago Theater. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I see him. Uh, because there's something else in the middle that he went to birth. He went to Buddy Guy's birthday. Okay, no, no. Okay, he spent two nights down at um, Chicago Theater. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I'm not that kind. Of, I don't. Again, I know I know Bruce Ziegler, but I don't know if Bruce knows somebody at Chicago Theater. I know a guy that runs security around there and I didn't call him. I bought my ticket the first night. 85 smacks. Okay? Wow. I got a job. I got some pride. I'm not gonna be that guy. Hey man, can you put me on the list? And I don't know, right? Yeah, I don't know anybody. I don't wanna go with nobody because I wanna focus on what's going on. So The opening band opens up. They rock it. They kill it. I go up on the front of the stage and I look to see if my pedal's up there.
2: And there, lo and
1: behold, there it is. And his guy, his his tech guy, looks at me and says, "Hey, what's up, man?" And I'm like, (laughs) I said, "Hey, like again, I don't know who knows me. I don't know what's said about me. I just know I'm looking for my pedal." And he's like, "Hey, what's up, man? Hey, man, we thought your pedal was broke." <laughs> I said, <laughs> "I said what?" He's like, "He's," he said, "Because if you hit these two buttons right here at the same time, mm-hmm. it goes into another mode oh. where you can only it, it turns another color like green or something like that." Mm-hmm. So Gary probably stepped on both of them at the same time, and it's freaking out. Yeah, because it, it's got <laughs> it's really it's really probably. Four pe- four pedals in one. Wow. You know what I mean? So he said, yeah, but I figured it out online, blah, blah, blah. I said, I got another one for you because the guy for the uh, cannon pedal uh, function effects. He said, could you give Gary another pedal if
0: mm-hmm. you
1: see him? I said, sure. Let me get this other pedal.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
1: It's called the Cluster Fuzz. Whoa. So I said, okay, yeah, I'll give it to him. I mean, okay, it's cool. So. I go to this concert. My friend that works security. I just happened to see him. He said, "Hey man, uh, that guy Gary, man, he's got a, a after party behind it, but at, 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 the, at the you know end of the night, like he just. I thought he was going to play again for you know people, whatever, you know, like after. Mm-hmm. Party. I don't know what it was about. Right. It was just a meet. It was a meet and greet. So I was like, okay, cool. Got back there, and he was like, hey, what's up, man? Blah blah blah. I said, yeah, man, I got the. I got pedals for you at the at buddy guys club, you know, but I didn't know if they'd have me, I didn't know if they'd let me bring a box in. So I figured if I saw you or whatever the case is, you know, I could hand them off to you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, right. Yeah, that, that'd that be cool. And that was the day before St. Patrick's day. Wow. So he said, Hey man, you want to, you want to come back tomorrow and jam? I said, yeah. He said, get, get around five o'clock. I said, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking again, brother, I'm a square sometime, man. I'm a square because I don't I don't think – I'm not one of them guys to plot to try to get over, to try to be a pariah, and try to suck people for what they get. You know what I mean?
0: Like an opportunist.
1: I'm, I'm, thank you. I'm not one of them cats. So when he said, you want to jam tomorrow, I said, yeah, sure. Like, hell yeah. Came in. I got, you know, shirt on. I got a <laughs> baseball cap. I got, you know – you know, I just got I got my my other guitar that's not my what my main axe, you know what I mean, which we'll mm-hmm. is got the flag on it. So I come in, I think he just wanna jam at soundcheck. You know, right. I see Ronnie Baker Brooks, I say, What's what's going on what you doing here? And, oh man, we're gonna we gonna jam. I'm like, oh okay. And so I'm thinking we're gonna jam at sound check. And then <laughs> right. as regular people or regular blues cats, boom, that's it. Okay, we jam with you. Okay, boom, Gary gonna do his show and it's going to be cool. You know what I mean? We get there. So we jam and they setting up. You're going to use this app and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, sure. So we plan, we're going through the song we're going to do, you know, that time. Mm -hmm. So I asked, I asked uh, Gary, I said, Gary, is this for, are we, are we, um, we just jamming now? Or is this for tonight? He said, no, this for tonight. I said, oh, and I said, just like this, Oh man, man, dude, I got to get home and get clean. (laughs) (laughs) Like that. Cause I even got video of um, doing the the, the the turning thing with Gary Clark in the, in the background, you know. So I said, man, I gotta get home and get clean, man. You know that kind of thing, you know. And he was like, "Was you good?" I said, "No, nah, no, nah, bro, no, 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 no. I gotta get my hat because, you know, I, you know, I, man, come
0: on." It's a whole setup. It's it's a it's a process.
1: Exactly. So I went to the and you talking about St. Patrick's Day traffic. Oh my oh. word! Oh. I was almost late for the sound check, man. But what? I found parking, And we are talking Chicago Theater. I found parking a half a block away. But I was stuck in traffic Because he called me. He said, where you at, man? I said, and I I was literally right around the corner. I said, I'm 30 minutes away. <laughs> Cause I, cause it, <laughs> you, know, traffic, you know how it is. The traffic was so messed up. And the fact that, because Gary, like the Wonder Times, he said, did I give you my number? I said, no. But see, this is me not knowing who I am because I'm not that kind of guy to say I'm Taranzo from Chicago. Hey, I just want to play good music, mm-hmm. hang out, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do my thing. So he gave me his number. He called me, and I was like, "Hey, man, I'm 30 minutes away. A lot of traffic out here. I'm gonna be there." I, I was gonna, dude. I was almost gonna leave the car to get towed and and, <laughs> and figure it out and figure it out later. But the Blue Spirits. They they found me parking right on the corner, man, you know. So anyway, went back, did the town check, he said blah blah blah. Went back, got pretty, I gave him the pedal. The the first time I and I took pictures of that too, the first time I gave him this pedal, his guys put it on the pedal board right there. Wow. And I'm taking pictures of him, and I sent it back to the guy that made the pedal. I said, Dude, he's gonna play that pedal tonight. Like that. And he's like, Really? I said, Dude, they put it on this pedal board. That's awesome. For, so I said, Gary, you uh, you um, uh, you um, uh, you gonna you gonna play that tonight? I, I I said, you don't you don't check it out first. He said, that's what sound check is for. I said, my man, okay, cool. So now that's a permanent thing on this pedal board. So we jam, we do have fun. He respects Chicago blues guys. Me and Ronnie kind of had a little not a head cutting, but I think I, I think I kind of one up them a little bit, you know what I mean? Cause I started biting the guitar first. <laughs> and then he said, the F you on the guitar. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and Jerry and Dave and everybody. And I was laughing too. Cause, and then he just went into Ronnie just went into a solo and started freaking out. And I was like, oh wow. But you know, that's the, that's the tradition of a Chicago thing where it's all in fun. It's head cutting. It's you want to, you want to do your thing? You know what I mean? And uh, and and like I said, I did the Biden thing first. And the crowd went crazy. And uh, Ronnie looked back at the other guy and turned around and said, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, exactly. it was all in fun. It was very cool. So now fast forward to Alapalooza. I didn't even know he was doing a pre-party. I knew he was in town. But I'm not going to be hanging out with those 17, 18-year-old kids at Lollapalooza <laughs> just to see Gary, you know, because I'm 50, that time 51, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like, hey, I'm happy with the memory I got with him. So mm-hmm. my friend, Chris, that works at, if I'm not mistaken, XRT, he called me and said, um, he called me and said, um, um, uh, you know, Gary's going to be playing the um, playing the, uh, smart bar. I said, what? And I just had came back from Japan like a couple of weeks early or whatever. And um, so I called. Um, uh, I didn't know. So I uh, no he had passes or whatever. I said, OK, cool. So I took my chance. I'm like, you know what? Let me let me just let me call Gary and tell him I'm going to mm-hmm. be there and I can bring him another cluster fuzz. You know, one of these <laughs> bring him another one of these because I just oh, like one now. <laughs> and, and I saw it, but but I but again I'm asking the guy that makes them. I'm like I'm a, I'm I'm gonna see Gary again. You want me to bring him another one? So I called Gary uh, uh you know, I gave him a text. I text him. I said, Hey man, uh, I'm gonna be at the show tonight, and I got another pedal for you. So he calls me and he said, Hey man, what's going on? Man, I'm sorry it took so long to call back because he was just from Japan too. So he said, uh, Yeah, he said you coming to rock? I said, man, you want me to rock? <laughs> I said, you're damn yes. right. Let's rock. So I came in, got my little wow. SG or whatever. And uh, again, I'm a fan, as you don't know already. I'm a fan of the young fella. Uh, he's brought some attention to the blues that I thought was very cool. We we rocked. We hung out. And dig this. Again, when they show you who they are, believe them. He did a two and a half hour set at Metro at Smart Bar. And I'm walking around, everything gone. I'm, you know, everybody's doing their thing. Man, I show, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm, and I'm walking back in the in the audience, you know, because I'm me. I'm, I know, you know. So if people, oh, my God, you were great, bro. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hey, thanks a lot, man. Blah, blah, blah. Because meanwhile, I put my guitar down in the, in the place, you know, where everybody's guitar is. So I'm about to get my stuff. But I'm looking for Gary to see where he at so I can say, hey, man, thanks a lot. Be cool. I'll bump into you again. Blah, 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 whatever. And I I don't see him. So I get my guitar, I go to get my me and Chris, you know, uh the the guy that got me in or whatever, right. you know. Uh because they have my name at the door, so I got now I got two passes. <laughs> you nice. know, all all access and then this and that. So I'm walking around looking like, you know, looking like a NASCAR dude, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I go outside since I don't see him. Okay, I got his number, I'll text him later or whatever the case is. He's on the side of Smart Bar. After doing a two two and a half hour show, wow. talking to people as they come outside,
0: that's incredible.
1: By his, see that's that's to me when people show you who they are. That's dude, someone that's, who gets it. That that means a lot to me because it's like this cat is not caught up in the fame of the whole thing, you know, and it's something that's very humble and very cool because everybody's ripping at him, but he's on the side of Smart Bar with the bus, and people walk out. Oh my god, that was a great show. And then they look do the double take. Is that Gary? And <laughs> you know, and they and they and they go up to talk to him and he's talking to him and they laugh and talk about the whole thing. And then he has a show to do the next day. So by the time I get home, I think it is, he's on he's on um Instagram talking about, hey, thank you, Chicago showed up, thank you. Or uh, not not Instagram. He's on he's talking about um me. Ronnie Baker Brooks, and he got our hashtags down there. Dave Herrero doing an Instagram thing. I see you at Lala. He didn't have to say my name about nothing. Right. You know what I mean? He did what he did. The next day, WXRT does a interview with him. And I've done some things for XRT with the openings, mm-hmm. the, the games for the Cubs and all that stuff. And um, and uh, he's doing an interview and he's like, yeah, you know, Chicago cats came out, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Taronzo and Dave Herrero. And then the the, the other guy, the, the, the XRT guy said, We well, you know Taronzo, he's great. You know, he's a bus <laughs> driver, you know. <laughs> you know like, so now that steers the conversation about right. me. And I'm like, for me, again, I didn't plan this. I'm not an opportunist. Right. But you know, I I if I see something where, again, it's all is organic. I just want to give him some pedals and basically of a thanks of that tone that he had on that video, which I encourage you to look at. Um, that tone, that freaked me out. But see how it's, everything's connected, you know?
0: It's intertwined, it's, yeah.
1: It's, yeah, it's connected. So I went way off base, man. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, that was great. I, I, I like yeah. the stories and stuff like that. You know, yeah. the the... A couple of things before I wrap this up, I have to ask and I love Gary is someone who's this ties back to the start of, you know, the conversation. Is someone who his last album, he started out with This Land. And mm-hmm. I think Gary I don't I haven't heard Gary come out and say anything about what's you know, these current events and things like that, but I don't think he has oh, to. That with that song. Oh,
1: oh he did. If, oh,
0: he if, he I did. mean if it's word, like, you know, uh yeah, just to to preface it, where he goes, you know, got my, uh, I think it was, got my 57 and a in Model 8, eight Biden and Trump, eight. you know, country goes, you know, telling me to get out of here. He goes, no, I'm American. This is my, this is my land too and stuff. And I think I, this, the young guys like him too, who understand the, what's happening. There's a lot of people who just yeah. are oblivious to, to what's happened, but he's very rooted in the history and the understanding of life and uh what it's truly like. I mean, this is a guy who's just he's got a nice property. It's a dream, dream land for him. Has, you know, yeah, yeah. living, you know, living the life with his family and to have him run into that issue s- still is 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 quite frustrating. Um yeah.
1: but, but you know the story of that. You know the story of that,
0: right? Uh I saw a little bit of it on on series. There was something to do with this old guy who always would would give him would give him grief or grief you know
1: yeah, he uh, actually he um he um uh, he got two songs out of it too. That song called a Governor.
2: Mm, it's a okay, yeah, yeah. song.
1: That's the Governor is his gun. And he got a, he got two guns basically. One gun is called a Governor. One gun is called a Judge. Which mm-hmm. one you want? <laughs> so, so so which goes into really the 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 thing the mystique of the blues man. Of the of the writing, where it's like you know, you write about th- that's blues. You write mm-hmm. about mishaps. You have you write about your happiness. You write about your, you know, your wishes, your dreams, you know, and and he got two songs out of that mishap, you know, and won some Grammys or whatever, you know.
0: Yeah, so, right. it's, it's it's important to have people out there still spreading messages because there's people like they don't need to say anything. They they know what's yeah. happening. They put out music like that, and there's people. The funny thing is, this you have people listening to that who who aren't really paying attention to the lyrics, and they're riding around I mean, supporting, you know, the opposition. And I think it's comical. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like do you, are you oblivious to what's really happening? Like, you're singing these words, and you, do you know? But uh, uh it's just, it's just funny. Now, when you look back to Ronzo, um, mm-hmm. I mean, just life in general. What has been was has there been a singular moment for you that's molded you into the person and musician that you are today? A singular moment, or not wow. not a singular because I think that's that's a wrong way to say it because there's been a, I mean at, your life is made up of several different moments and things <laughs> yeah. like that, good and bad. Yeah. But was there a moment that you can really um you know that's that stood out in in, in what molded you into the person and musician that you are today?
1: Wow. Wow, that's um, that's like a multifaceted <laughs> question. A little bit. Um, I I think I guess if I could just encapsulate everything. It'd be just like the overall. I'm glad of even been, I'm. I mean, I've had pains and and, and mm-hmm. discouraging things in my life and all that stuff. But I try not to harp on. Them. I try not to wear it. You know, wear it as a as a badge. You know, mm-hmm. a heavy coat. You know, I put it in a song. Or I'll somehow kind of poo poo it, you know, as long as I got my health and I got, um, you know, my, my I'm in my right mind to maybe I can come out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything else is just kind of like, okay, it is what it is. You know, if you have problems at home, you know, you have problems with work or whatever, it is what it is. You know, yeah, it'll get me for that day. But, you know, the fact that I got an outlet, maybe guitar or maybe just what my demeanor is, I'm not going to let it sit on my soul too long. Right. It will, but I'm not going to let, I I I try to constantly not let things sit on my soul, you know, because that's when you get damaged. And that's when mm-hmm. you start, you know, looking at the world in a different way. And then people that really want to do you some good or want to be friends with you or want to be whatever, you don't trust them because your soul has been hurt. Mm-hmm. Which goes back into the, um, the the thing we talked about when we first started. Black men's and black people's soul have been hurt because we haven't achieved what we thought we should per Constitution, per whatever, and generational disparities or whatever. Your soul is hurt and you let it sit on you. Next thing you know, it you're somewhere busting out a window at a Walgreens and you don't know why. You think you know why but you don't know deeply why. So, but for me, I have an outlet of music. I have a a voice that I can talk to uh, the white people and say, this is what we feel. This is because you feel the same way, but I'm just putting it in song. You know what I mean? There's there's commonalities that we have. So when you do hear someone say something maligning black people in a certain way, you as my fan or you as my friend in the music of blues could say, that ain't cool. You know, that ain't cool because, you know, I'm like Gary. I'll do a 2-hour show and I I go out and talk, you know, <laughs> but I'm not Gary. You know, Gary's got, you know, whatever, but I just feel still, I'm that bus driver cuz I'm a, a man of the people. That's what I do. I grew up, my grandparents raised me again. My grandfather, I swear to God, I thought he knew everybody. When I would go to the store with him and do things like that, because he would talk to everybody, you know what I mean. And it's probably by this hour and a half interview, you probably know I'm long winded, <laughs> you know. Right. But um, but yeah, my grandfather would talk to everybody, and I guess. But then, capitalized. I'm just glad that I have a vehicle to maybe lay some music out, and um, and hopefully it will be recognized like the other Chicago greats, where at this time in this moment. This is what bluesmen were thinking about at this time in Chicago. And hopefully it will go down in some kind of, you know, lineage of, okay, Muddy had his time, Albert Collins, James Cotton. You know, these, these eras, Junior Wells, Buddy Guy, and then Toronzo. This is what was going on in Chicago at that time and his view of the blues and how he write blues. So I hope that answered the question.
0: Oh, that, that's great. Yeah, no, the uh, years and years and years go on, but the message still remains the same. And that's important. But you're just telling it in a in a different way through your perspective. Um, Taranzo, I thank you so much for doing this. I mean, this is this is this is a thrill. I could go on forever, but um, <laughs> th- I thank you. Thank you so yeah, much.
1: I, I got more Gary Clark stories, but yeah, it's cool, man. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, but thank you for your time and thank you for what you're doing for the blues as far as uh, putting us and having our voices heard. And uh, and it reaching different corners that we can't get to. So I want to thank you for what you're doing for the Blues.
0: Well, I appreciate it very, very, very much. Thank you so much for tuning in. That was my conversation that I had with the great Taranzo canon if you like what you heard great be sure to subscribe to the show on itunes and follow us on spotify and i Heart radio don't forget to visit our website as well www.themondaymorningblues.com there you'll find the next four weeks guests on our site and information on each and every guest that we have we also have this new thing called the blues review there you'll find uh, some suggestions that i have given to you all to listen to Um, in hopes of spreading new music and blues joy to you and your friends. So, visit www.themondaymorningblues.com. Hope everyone enjoyed my conversation with Taranzo. I will see you next week with Johnny Bergen. Then, the week after that, Allie Venable. Then, Jose Ramirez. And then, Robert Conley Farr. So that's the next four weeks on the Monday Morning Blues. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe, God bless, and we'll see you next week.